Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Judges chapter 2 verses 7 through 11 reads, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the borders of his inheritance at timnath Heres, in the mountain of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bells. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning, God, that your word would go forth with clarity. Lord, I pray that as a result of your word today, God, that we would, God, change who we are, Father. We would look at things differently, Father. So I pray that your word would would challenge and change us this morning. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning. I've I've titled my sermon, Why We Need to Invest. I'm not talking about investing money. I'm talking about investing who you are as an individual. In lieu of the scripture and in the circumstances that are taking place around us here in this world and where we're at as as a society, what does our future as a church and as a people look like if we do not invest into the lives of another generation what does our future look like? Where do we stand as a church, as the body of Christ? Where, where would we be if we right now would just stop and continue business as, as usual and not invest another ounce or dime into anyone else? What, what would our future look like in a few years here at, at the church? You see, this is a tough question to answer, but it's a reality that we all need to think of. And it's not a, it's not a thing of us having time because if you don't know, we are up against the clock. We are up against the clock, and we have a huge challenge ahead of us. And if we do nothing about the issue, we will lose the battle before we even start. I want you to know that who you are and what you're about is worth investing into someone else. I'm not talking about investing money. I'm talking about investing who you are into another generation. The Barna Group in U.S. Today did a study on the percentages of young Christians, and these are their findings. They say that 75% of Christian young people after high school leave the church. One of the key reasons they do so is intellectual skepticism, meaning they were not taught the Bible in their homes or in church. Understand, just because they go to Sunday school, go to youth, if there is not something being produced in there, all they're doing is babysitting. If the word is not being preached and with with conviction and power on Sunday morning, all we're doing is just coming here for a great pep talk. Church isn't about pep talk. Church is about rearranging our lives to lining up with what God wants us to do. So 75% of young people leave the church after high school because they never had it exemplified in their life at home or in the church. One of the key reasons they do, uh, let's see here meaning they were not taught the Bible at their homes or in church. Statistics show that our kids today spend an average of 30 hours per week in public schools where they are being taught ideas that are opposite of biblical truths. Evolution, the acceptance of homosexuality. 
They come home to another 30 hours per week in front of the TV bombarded by lewd commercials and raunchy sitcoms, sitcoms or connecting on social media or playing video games. 60 hours per week dedicated to things that have no eternal value. 60 hours per week dedicated in their mind, this picture placed upon their mind, painted in in their spirit. 60 hours a week they're being discipled to think a certain way, to act a certain way, to to do a certain thing. I I, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a little child who begins to watch YouTube videos and all of a sudden they begin to act out how that YouTube... Why did my kid all of a sudden become a little brat? Why are they talking back to me? Well, possibly might be from the things that they're being influenced by, the the shows that they're watching, because cartoons aren't the same as they were back in our days. You know, back in our days, you had the Roadrunner chasing and the Coyote, all, all those things. Had the, that was cartoons back in our days. And, but now you have, you know, little people who have attitudes and think that they have this right to be right and, and, and everything. And, and people want to make it, you know, politically correct that they have an opinion. I'm sorry, but as a three-year-old, your opinion should not outdo my opinion as a parent. I'm only 36, but I grew up old school. I'm young, but this weather's hurting my back. My knees are. Good Lord, I feel it. It's what you get for being tall. Any of you ever prayed to be tall? There's consequences to it. We've given 60 hours per week for someone else to place into the minds of our children how they should act, talk, dress, what they should think, and yet only 45 minutes per week is dedicated to any kind of biblical influence. You're facing a giant of 60 hours a week being placed into the minds, not just children, but adults as well. We're included in this this statistic here. You, you go to work and, you know, you get paid, but you're on Facebook still and still connected to everything, yet someone's paying you to do another job. Then you complain about your job on Facebook. <laughs> Brave souls on social media. Wouldn't say it in front of anyone else's face, but you type it. Siri just said hello to me. 60 hours a week in front and having this garbage placed into our minds, our children's minds. And we're expecting 45 minutes a week, if they even get a solid 45 minutes a week, to change everything of who they are. Doing a great job. We're giving them 45 minutes. You give them 60 hours a week and you're only giving them 40 minutes of something of Christ. They, they got this confusion going on in their mind. What's right and what's wrong? Because what's wrong seems what's right. And what's right doesn't seem very cool because we don't do it a whole lot. 
You see, these numbers cut deep, but they're a reality that we all need to face. And if we do nothing about it, we will lose the next generation. We will lose a generation of young people. You see, my inheritance to my children should go deeper than my pocketbook and the rings that are upon my finger. I shouldn't just leave to them money because money runs out. I shouldn't just leave to them possessions because possessions break and get old and dwindle away. What I need to instill into my children is my biblical convictions and values. That's eternal. Eternal things are what matters. But I can't leave them biblical convictions and biblical values if I as a father and you as a parent are not living them out yourself. You can't expect your child to have a great prayer life if you don't pray. You can't expect them to know the word if you don't open up your Bible. You can't expect them how to navigate through hardship if you crumble in hardship. They will do exactly what you do in the midst of all their trouble. We all said it. When I get older, I'm not going to act like my mom or my dad. But it's exactly what we do. It's because that's what we know. The apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. You've recognized this, parents, when you're in the front seat driving and someone cuts you off and you say a certain thing and it's repeated from the back seat. (laughs) Discipleship is taking place. Investment is taking place every single time that you are around or alive. They're watching you, how you act, how you conduct yourself, how you go through certain things. You are putting into their mind. You are putting this roadmap in life, how to navigate through all these certain things. If you crumble, guess what they're going to do? They crumble as well. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Understand, the Bible doesn't promise you that your child will not go to the right or to the left because we've all made some bad choices in life. But when we plant seeds and we give them something to look forward to, when they know the difference between right and wrong because you stood and drew a hard line and you said, this is right and this is wrong. The Bible promises you this, that when you train them up that way, when they get older and they get a little knuckleheaded and they want to go this way or that way, you have a promise to stand upon from God that they would not depart from that truth because you trained them up. The key to not having them depart from the truth is your training. It's your ability to be active and a part of their life. I don't know when parenting became about being friends. My my parents were never there to make me happy and to be my friends in life. If I messed up, my parents were going to tap me on the back and say, it's okay. My friends were there for that, but my parents, I told the first service, I grew up with three laws in life. I had the law of the land. You all have that law. You drive too fast, you get pulled over, you get a ticket. Then I had my biblical law, the law of God. But then... Somehow, God put this other law in my life, maybe not yours, but he put it into my life. It was called the law of my father. No, really, he had a stick about this tall, and it said the law on the side of it. And on the other side was the, uh, the benefits of breaking that law. It said power, force, pain. And then on the end of it, he decided to put ouch, because that's what happens. After you break the law. But 
By having that law in my life, I knew the difference between right and wrong. It wasn't about counting. My my dad didn't count to, to, you know, you better get here. One, two, three. And if he told you to go find the law and you lied and said you can't find it, um, it, you better go find it because you're going to get it even worse. I'll tell you that that law never departed from my life. We were in the backyard, and me and my brother said, we're getting rid of this law. We dug a hole in the backyard, put the law in the hole, covered it up with dirt. And my dad's rototilling in the backyard. The rototiller spits the law out. It's that law. Not just to punish but to show that with mess up, there's consequence. I believe in grace and I love grace, but sometimes grace hurts. I learned a long time ago that that law didn't feel very good. And if I didn't want to feel the power force pain, ouch, better straighten up. Don't give yourself a reason to get... That law, but understand everything that I got in trouble for, I knew was wrong because my parents exemplified what was right. They showed me, they lived out that example in my life. They did not tell me not to do something, yet they were doing it themselves. Listen, some of you contradict what you say by the actions by which you live out. You have to let your actions support your words. They have to go hand in hand because your children one day will call you upon it. Why do you say, I can't do this? I see you doing that. What is your response to that? Well, I'm the parent. That's a horrible Horrible response. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Training has less to do with what you say and more to do with what you do. It has less to do with what you say and more to do with what you do. It's where your actions speak louder than your words. So we have 60 hours a week of all this stuff happening, craziness in the world. And so what do we as Christian parents and leaders do? I'm going to take them out of all that. I'm going to isolate them, and I'm going to keep them from all that stuff. They don't need to know what's going on. Do you know, I've seen more good young people fall away simply because they were never, um, they were oblivious to all the junk that the world had to offer because they lived in this little bubble. Now, I'm not saying, hey, make them a part of society and let them do whatever they want to do, and hopefully they'll fall in the right place. No, I'm saying is this. You need to train them up. Train them up. When we train them up, what takes place is we give them the hard line between right and wrong. So that when they blow it and when they mess up, they know the difference between right and wrong. Not that I'm going to isolate you from this and then when you get 18, I'm just going to throw you into this unknown world. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, this world is really cool. It has all this stuff to offer. I'm going to try this. Listen, I, I, I would be a fool as a parent if I did that to my children. Listen what Jesus says in John 17, 15. He says this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Speaking of his disciples, Jesus is praying this to God. He says, listen, don't take them out, but I pray this, keep them from the evil one. 
Keep them from the evil one. Don't take them out. Don't isolate them. Don't put them on an island by themselves. But keep them from the evil one. It's not about isolation. Isolation has never worked. It actually works against you at times. Isolation doesn't work. Training them up that God would keep them from the evil one is what we need to do. You see, isolation is not the answer. Our values and our convictions are. If I do not pass on to my children, both biological and spiritual children, my biblical values and my biblical convictions, I've crippled them in life. I've done them a disservice in life. It's foolish of me that to think as a father that my two daughters and my son will never encounter the opportunity to do drugs. It's foolish of me that they'll never give the opportunity to drink. It's foolish of me to think that they'll never cuss, lie, or cheat because they're a pastor's kid. It's foolish of me to think that they'll never have the opportunity to have sex outside of marriage because I raised them in the church. That's foolish of me to think. They will be presented all those opportunities. Even us in the church, our children, will be presented all those opportunities. But if I pass down to them my biblical values and my biblical morals, what will take place at that time is when they are thrown into the lion's dens of life and they go to school and they hear everything that contradicts what their parents taught them and what their Sunday school teachers taught them they will know the difference between right and wrong and I pray that they would make the right choice because I trained them up because we all know that a lion will do much harm But to those that don't know that a lion could do much harm, to them the lion looks cute. Look at this little cutie cat. Only for that thing to come and kill them in the end. It's our job. Our job. My job as a father. Your job as a parent. Our job as a church. When we see someone going in the wrong way, it's our job. It's our responsibility to teach them the way to go. Last year, I got a, a letter from the school district of, of my, my daughter's school, and it, and it said that um, in fifth grade that they were going to be teaching sex education. And they said, if you want to, you could come and view the videos beforehand at the school district to see what's going on. I'm an active parent. I think every single one of you should be active parents. Do not just take someone's word for it. You need to find out what's being taught, and you need to be active in your school. And if it does not line up with what you say, don't you let an educator tell you what they have to do. That is still your child. You got them for a few hours. I got to raise that child. Everything that they do that has my last name connected to it, not your school. I need to be active in their life. And I'm not against education. What I am against is someone telling me how my child should live their life. That's my job. And so I go to this school meeting here in the school district. And only two dads are there, me and another guy. The room's not even packed, but there's more moms there. And they begin to show us these videos of what they're going to teach my fifth grader about STDs. I don't need to learn. So you don't need to be learning about STDs. I need to learn how. You, you need to be taking a shower. You need to be brushing. That's the stuff you need to learn as a fifth grader. That's what you. And they opened it up at that time for question and answers. And so they gave this response. They said, you know 
we don't have enough male teachers to teach the boys, so when we don't have a male teacher, we're going to have a female teacher step into place and teach the boys about sex education. I raised my hand and said, what does a female know about a boy's sex education? You have no clue how we think. You don't know what we go through. Well, that's what we have you parents there for. No, you're trying to teach my child a certain way so that you can educate them and do all this thing. Listen, I'm not, I took her out of that class. She goes, Dad, all the kids are going to laugh at me. I don't care. Let them laugh. My responsibility is to teach you the right way because they're going to teach you a bunch of junk and a bunch of crap. And you know what? As a parent, I'm not going to have that because all that's going to do is going to cripple me in the end. Draw a hard line. Curiosity has killed many good people. Jesus said, Father, keep them from the evil one. I want you to look at the breakdown of generations here. Moses' generation leads the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage. They see God split the Red Sea. They see quail fly in and become dinner that night. They have a cloud by day that shades them from the desert sun. They have fire by night that warms them from the desert cold nights. They've seen water flow from a rock after Moses strikes it, not to mention all the plagues that God sheltered them from in Egypt. Their shoes never even wore out on the trip, the Bible says, but yet they complained and they didn't make it out of the desert. All those things have seen the hand of God move. They complained and didn't make it out. Then here's Joshua, the man chosen to take him into the promised land. Joshua's generation seen the Jordan River split. They see the walls of Jericho fall. They see the sun stand still so they have extra time to fight. They see great victories. They even make it into the promised land. Yet somewhere along the way, after all those great victories and all those things attributed to how God had been with them, even through the 400 years of bondage, through all those great things, yet they lose a generation. Somewhere along the way, the next generation got lost. How do you lose a generation? The Bible says that there was a generation after Joshua's generation that didn't know God, neither the works that he did through his people. How is it that you lose a generation? It's called compromise. Hear me when I say this. It's called compromise. We see it in the church every single week. You see, when church becomes an option to you, your children see it as an option to them. Therefore, we've just compromised church. God's not an option. God should never be an option. It's too, it's too cold outside. I don't feel like leaving the bed. It's too nice outside. We shouldn't be confined indoors. We need to go to the beach. Church has become an option. God should not be an option. He should be a priority to us in life. The definition of compromise is something intermediate between different things. When we hear the word compromise, we oftentimes think of a big sin. Oh, they fell into this. Oh, they compromised. They did this. They compromised. Do you know that little things are compromised as well and just as detrimental as well? Well, I'm too tired. We had a long Saturday night, so I don't want to go to church. Compromise. If it's not important to you, why should it be important to us as children? I'm going through a hard time. I can't get to church today. I'm too broken. Yes, the very place that you find freedom, compromise. You're teaching them how to navigate through hardship. Crumble. That's what they learn. We compromise a lot of things in life and wonder why we lose generations and why they don't want to come to church. If church isn't important to you, why would it be important to them? 
And if it's not important to them, why would it be important to their children? And if it doesn't become important to their children, all of a sudden we lose generations. They don't love God anymore. They don't know God. They don't know the works that God's done in your life. They don't know what God's brought you through because someone decided that night at the dinner table, I don't want to pray that night for for food. And so pretty soon, missing one prayer, you might not think, oh, that's not a big deal. But the next night you miss another prayer. It's not such a big deal. Pretty soon prayer's not even a part of the meal anymore. Compromise in the small things. Prayer before bedtime. Used to pray with them before bedtime. Not all of a sudden, you're too tired. I'll just go to bed. I'll see you later. Pretty soon they forget those things because someone stopped doing them. Joshua's generation stopped talking about the goodness of God. They stopped talking about how the hand of God brought them through all these things, stopped telling those stories, and pretty soon there was a generation who didn't know God because another generation didn't do their job in keeping him alive and well and active in their lives. Understand, it's not just the church's responsibility, it's your responsibility as parents. We have you guys for a few hours here at church on Sunday morning. You have your kids at home. If they don't see you living it out, why should they? They stopped telling about the goodness of God and how he delivered them from the children of Egypt. They didn't talk about it at the dinner table because where there is lack in one generation, there is desolation in the next one. Where there is lack in one generation, what you lack, the next generation will not pick up, but they will get even deeper in the hole. See, your history is very important to your future. When I tell people of my nationality, they oftentimes look at my last name and see that it does not line up with my nationality. I'm a Mexican, Mexican Puerto Rican. <laughs> but Belaski does not sound neither Mexican nor Puerto Rican. And I'll tell you why. My great grandparents migrated from Puerto Rico to Hawaii. And in doing so, they had to register. I'm, trying to still figure out all the story, but this is what I know. They had to register their name, and so my great-grandfather spoke Spanish with a very heavy Puerto Rican accent. The lady taking names that day only spoke English. And so my real last name was Velasquez. But she wrote it down as Belaski. (laughs) Don't laugh at my last name. The V sounded, sounded like a B to her, and, and, and here we are. I, I get mistaken for being a Polak or Polish or Russian. Like, that's Mexican-Puerto Rican, man. No, you ain't. But when my great-grandparents came from Puerto Rico to Hawaii, all they spoke was Spanish. They have children, and now my grandparents are born from that generation, and They pass on to them what they know. They pass on Spanish. Well, in Hawaii, not only did they speak Spanish, but there was English in different languages. So my grandparents learned English as well. So now they speak both Spanish and English. Well, then 1950s, they moved from Hawaii to California. And they want to teach their children to be Americanized. And so it goes from 
knowing Spanish now to you need to learn English. And we'll talk to you in Spanish, but you respond in English. So my parents understand some Spanish, but they only speak English. Well, then it comes down to my generation. My parents don't speak Spanish, so they couldn't teach us Spanish. And they could only teach us what they knew, which was English. And so we have just two generations down the line that lost the language of my people. How did it happen? It's called compromise. Someone didn't pass down down the line who we were and what we came from, so they decided to make us a part of culture like a lot of us do. We just want our kids to be a part of culture. We want them to be cool. We want everyone to be cool, so everyone's got to dress alike and look alike, and you got little three-year-olds and that know how to operate iPhones and 45-year-olds, and we got little fifth graders that got the latest and greatest iPhones and kicks and Jordans and all this stuff because we want them to be a part of culture, yet they're little brats. I'm not saying I don't believe in, 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 in blessing our children and spoiling, but we need to get back to the place where people start to earn some stuff, not just that everything is given to them. I don't know how they became a little brass because you gave them everything that they wanted. All they had to do was cry enough, and they knew how to work the system. If I just cry enough, and my kids start to cry, I just lean over to them real silently in the store and said, listen. I'm not afraid to whoop your booty right here. <laughs> With a smile on my face. Don't, don't make me take you to the car. Don't make me take you to the car. If you came from that school, give me a good amen. And we made it. We made it. We were an asset to society. We knew respect because someone taught us. And the moment you disrespected, you, you learned as well. Not anymore. Someone stopped training and imparting to another generation because it didn't seem cool. It's not cool. This isn't how things go. That, Dad, like my kids tell me, Dad, you're old school. I don't care. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You mess up, you'll pay the consequences for it. If you don't like those consequences, then go find yourself another family. But I'm pretty sure ain't nobody going to take you in. You eat too much. You got to stay in my house. If you're going to be in this house, this is how things are going to go. This is the law of the lands. Why? I'm keeping things alive because I understand what worked for one generation worked for my generation. And if compromise comes in, we will lose a generation. Kids are like, man, what's pastor got to preach today? I don't speak the language that I wish I did being in the Bay Area. Because someone decided not to teach it down the line. And people don't know of God in the next generations because someone forgot to tell of the goodness of God. I don't care if you want to hear it. You're in my house. You're at my table. You're going to listen to the story. This is just how things are going to be in my house. I guarantee you this. Growing up, my dad... 
my dad was a strict man. My father's here today. If you don't, my dad runs the soundboard. And, It was his law. I look at him now, I'm like, man, with your grandkids, you're so soft. What happened to that? <laughs> like, we lived at home, and all we had was that little wall heater. That was freezing in our bedrooms at night. You, we leave, and all of a sudden, you get central air and heat in the house. We didn't have no swimming pool growing up, but you get a swimming pool for your grandkids. He goes, because I ain't got you all to feed anymore. I got a little bit more money. All right. But my dad drew the hard line in life. I understood one thing. He told me this. Nick, if you ever come home with a tattoo, I know this is a controversial subject, but this is just how I was raised. He said, if you ever come home with a tattoo, I will sit there with bleach and sandpaper and take it off. You will not have a girlfriend until you are ready. And being in school, you are not ready to have a girlfriend. His favorite word, I thought, was no. (laughs) Couldn't sleep over anybody else's house because he worked hard to provide a roof for us. But I remember when we started this church and I was leaving home for the very first time leaving Manteca for the very first time. I was coming out here to the Bay Area to start this church. I remember I hugged my father and I told him, thank you. Because I didn't have to go through all the other junk that all my other friends that didn't have a parent that that let them do whatever they wanted had to go through. He kept me from those hard things. I'm I'm proud to say that my wife was my first kiss. It's, in some cultures, in some schools, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, you waited that long? Listen, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't hide anything in the house. I couldn't hide anything in the house, man. I wasn't about to get beat down for no girl. There ain't no girl worth getting beat down for when you're that young. But I thanked him because... I didn't have to go through all that other stuff. Other friends were like, I can't believe you didn't do that. Yeah, but look at all at your age. You had to go through all this heartbreak. How can a 13, 14-year-old handle that stuff? Thank God today. Back then I didn't, but I thank God today. Why? Because someone drew the hard line, trained me up, not only told me, but exemplified it in my life. Church was not an option for me. You went to church. You didn't have a choice. You went to church. It was something you had to do. It wasn't an option for me. Being committed to a church is not a problem for me because my father exemplifies it. He drives early in the morning. He drives from Manteca still to get here at 730 in the morning before all of y'all get here to help set up. So commitment wasn't a problem to me. It's just a part of what was in my DNA because I was trained in it. Compromise kills so many good people. And we lose generations because of it. Parents, do not be ashamed of the story that God's brought you through. Because someday it will be important to your kids' future. They might look at you and say, you never went through anything hard. You didn't do... Oh, sit down. Wait a while. Let me tell you. It's time we get back 
to what really works. The only thing that I find that continues to work is Jesus. If you invest anything into anybody in life, invest Christ because he's eternal. Parents, invest into your children the value of the word and the value of prayer by showing and exemplifying them in your life. Have a time where you come together. I'm not saying you have to go to Bible college and learn all this stuff. Man, you know what? Say the simplest of prayers because it's so simple prayers that help to bring them through. Let them see you open up your word. Let them see you live from it. Let them see you stick from it in hard times because it's those times that will define life for them. Teach them how to endure hardship. Tell them what God's done for you and let them know of your heritage in Christ. Tell them your history because it's vitally important to their future. How do we change a generation? It's by becoming active in their life. Pouring and investing into them the value of the word. My biblical convictions. But I could only do that, and you could only do that if they see you living it out. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.com.